0: ago uh, preaching on generosity, and the world has made money this thing, you know, it's like, oh, shucks, you know, generosity, like, how do, don't it, how do I show people's heart to people with regards to generosity, and then like six weeks later it's sex, and you're preaching about sex, it's like, yes, Lord, this is, um, okay, um, how do I, Lord, how do I show your heart about sex to people, and then, and then I realized in this week while I was preparing, and maybe felt a little sorry for myself that I have to do this, um, I realized, but... We can't preach on money. We can't preach on sex. However, am I going to encourage someone to forgive someone that has wronged them? Because how deeper is that? How, how intense is that in our lives when someone has purposely wronged you and the gospel calls you to forgive them unconditionally? So we should be careful what we find ourselves comfortable to say and comfortable to hear when we meet together as a church. Amen? Let's accept His word, the whole word, not just parts of it. Um, but everything to it. What matters most is our relationship series we're busy looking at. So over the few weeks, next few weeks, we're just jumping into certain things in our relationship of what matters most. And today we're going to look at great sex. Now just to break the ice for you as well, just say sex one time. (laughs) There we go. You're just going to feel better. (laughs) And everyone goes, (sighs) yes, you've said it. In church, all right, sex is a strange thing in the sense that it's everywhere, but yet it's so hard to speak about it, right? How strange is that, that sex is everywhere around us? Um, I've shared this before, but a few years ago, I, we, I needed to help someone um, shop for Uh, pool cleaner, like chlorine and stuff, and I remember I was walking in the pool aisle in game, and um, there's this new creepy crawly that was advertised, and on this creepy crawly there's this woman in a very small bikini, I was like, how have you sexualized creepy crawly, modern society, how have we sexualized even stuff like that, it's... (laughs) Sex is everywhere, but yeah, it's so difficult to speak about. I want to show you. I'm just going to read you a few stats that I found in this week. That now this was in 2009. All right, so this is 13 years ago. Approximately 92% of the 174 songs that made it to the Billboard Top 10 contained reproductive or sexual messages. 92%. Now this is 13 years ago. 92% of the best songs in 2009 had sexual content in it. In 2005, there was a study that found 70% of shows on TV have relations to sexual activity. 70%. Now, this was 17 years ago. 46% of these shows have either sexual behavior or intercourse in it. So 17 years ago, the TV that you and I watched, 46% of that that we watched had something to do with sex. Fast forward 10 years and add the continual influx of gender dysphoria, homosexuality, and the cultural movement where we can redefine just about anything about ourselves that has become more and more crucial that we speak and understand sexuality. Yet, the two places where we should be speaking about sex, family and church, remain silent. Why? Why in the two most crucial places where we should have an understanding and a healthy theology together as a community, it's not just you living your pure, pure life as an Amish person, but it's us as a community. Why is it important? Because nothing destroys lives as quickly as sex. Nothing destroys marriages as quickly as sex. Nothing destroys futures as quickly as what sex can do. There's a reason why Scripture refer, um, it paints a picture of it's almost like the, the fire. I mean, Scripture uses the, a fire as an analogy when it refers to sex. And we all know that, yes, when I've got fire in my fireplace at home, it's awesome. It keeps us warm and it gives a nice romantic feeling to my house. But when the fire is outside the fireplace, it causes havoc. Why are we so silent about this? You see, Hollywood has become the sex education of our day. We are being taught by Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, Emma Watson about what is sex. Instead of turning to the scripture of God and letting that to reveal to us exactly God's intention about sex. Now, yes, I believe Hollywood has stepped into this place, or movies, or media, or Instagram, Facebook has stepped into this place because, yes, there is an agenda that is being pushed into modern society about making Christianity the enemy, but also due to the silence that fills our homes and our churches. Why is it important? New research shows that children are exposed to some sort of pornography at the age of eight years old already. Great two. At most, at the average age of pornography exposure is that, age of eight years old. That's changed since I've become an adult. (laughs) Why is it important we speak on this? Because the very foundation and purpose of sex has been perverted and abused in modern culture and it is causing a lot of damage in people's lives. Why is it important we speak on this? Because sex can be one of the greatest blessings in the covenant of marriage, but it can also ultimately bring the greatest tension in our marriages. So today I'm trusting for two things. Number one, if you're married, you will be inspired by the beauty of the gift that God has given your marriage. You will be inspired by the beauty of sex. And to those of you unmarried yet, that you will not just hear that the Bible says you're not allowed to have sex, but that you will hear something and see something so beautiful for what God has for you that you won't settle for the rubbish that the world is pumping into your heart. And to do this, we are turning to the book of love. All right. Song of Solomon. How's that? The Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, we're going to open in this piece of scripture, now often a, conf- a, a very profound book, but oftentimes misunderstood book. Now, if you read the Song of Solomon, it's part of wisdom literature. If you don't read the Song of Solomon, you don't have to read Proverbs. We all know how we gain benefit from the book of Proverbs. So this is wisdom literature. But if you're going to approach it as... A a, a, a scientist or an analyst, and you're going to try and dissect it word from word, you're going to miss it because primarily this book is a poem about love between a man and a woman that you and I have the opportunity and privilege to look into. Where we can see something so pure, so holy, so clean, so passionate in this book. And I believe from this we're going to look into three things. Great sex. It is something to understand, something to prioritize, and something to fight for. Those are our three marks or three points we're going to look into today. So because it's a poem, I'm going to give you my most poetic voice as we read <laughs> Song, of, Song of Solomon 4. Um, I just, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to do it as poetic as possible. All right, are you ready? Follow with me. Lose yourself in love. <laughs> No, but seriously, I think follow the flow and the innocence towards this man and this woman that they have for each other and the beauty that is compiled through this. All right, so I'm going to read this. Here we go. Behold, you are my beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your air is like a flock of goats. Leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shown ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and none among them has lost its young. All right, so you have to understand quickly, the Jewish culture, they weren't necessarily... If you're going to try and visualize this, all right, so what this guy's saying is that this woman's teeth is like freshly shaven little lambs. And the amazing thing is none have gone missing. So that's valuable in ancient culture. There was no such stuff like dentist and Oral-B and Colgate. So if you found a woman with all her teeth and her teeth were white, you found a rare thing. So I want you to hear the value he places on her, not necessarily trying to picture what he's saying. Okay, that's how the Jewish culture related to one another. It's like saying, you're, Ron, you're as valuable to me as a Bitcoin, all right? I don't, I don't picture Ron as a little Bitcoin jumping around. It just explains value, okay? Now you got an idea. But anyway, what a nice compliment to give, all right? Yeah. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like the half of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of gazelle that braze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadow flees, I will go away to the mountain of Myrrh and the hill of frankincense." You're altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You've captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eye, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and other fragrances of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are your, under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden is lo- locked, is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all its choicest fruits henna's with nard nard and saffron calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense and aloes with all choice spices a garden fountain a well of living water flowing streams from lebanon awake north wind and come o oh south wind blow upon my garden let its spices flow Together in the garden of love, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Don't you just love the detail and the beauty of this? Understanding now, there's a lot of things you don't know. I don't know what, you might not know what a nard and henna and all these things. You might not know what a pomegranate is, but that's not the picture. I just love this detail that he's just pouring out upon his wife, this woman. This is the word of the Lord. So number one, we're going to look at something to understand. What I really believe the scripture wants to unpack for us is ultimately, because what we believe and understand about sex is ultimately how we'll act upon it. So therefore, we have to have a right understanding and belief about sex. It's not just in the doing, it's in the believing prior to that. Currently in modern world, we have three views of sex. Number one, sex is just an activity. It's like jogging. It's like eating. When you're hungry, you eat. It's, it's become, it's like just such a natural, and this ultimately comes from the Greek um, philosophies way back where the belief was that the ultimate expression is spiritual and what you and I do in the natural world, it doesn't really matter. So sex is just an activity. It's like hanging out with your friends, it's like arranging a game of golf. It's one of the views that we find currently. Number two, sex is everything. Like if you have not had sex before, you are less human than the person next to you. That sex is this miraculous power, or sexuality is this miraculous power to redefine who you are. That sex is everything we should give our lives to, you should be hung up on, you should wake up, and it's all about sex. It's become a way to express yourself. Become a way to be yourself and even find yourself. And then, thirdly, other view that we currently find in modern society is that sex is nothing. It's dirty, it's shameful. We don't talk about it. We put it under the rug where we put most of our problems. Be careful, it's getting quite high, you might trip next time. But something that's dirty, this fail, we don't talk about it. Here and in the ice, we don't talk about stuff like this. You lock yourself and you go and figure it out there by yourself. Now, most of you grew up with either one of these being the predominant understanding about sex. That sex is this, this, it's, it's, it's only needed to make children. The rest, yeah, it's failed. See, we we grow up where there's this pendulum that swings, that Hollywood says sex is everything. Social media, Instagram, sex is everything. But oftentimes the church is labeled where we say sex is nothing. It's dirty. It's shameful. It's this thing that we don't really talk about. So we are swung in this pendulum of where is it? Well, I believe that if if we want to know what sex is, we have to find it in the Word of God that unpacks the beauty of it and the complexity of it. Oftentimes the Christian view is said to be that sex is dirty, that the church has maybe taught in the past that sex is, is ugly and it's meant for just this little time in this little place and this little, only for the specific reason. See, and that's, well, clearly you've just read scripture with me this morning. I don't see much dirty in that. See, this, the Bible teaches that sex is very good. Genesis 1 verse 31. This goes against the claim that sex is nothing. Sex is very good. Why would God give us something if He didn't intend for it to be good, right? Some the Song of Solomon is filled with barefaced rejoicing in sexual pleasure. In fact, there are some parts in the Bible that will shock the stiffness out of you. It's true. So you big It's gonna pull you around. The Bible teaches that also that sexual desires can be dangerous to ourselves and to others. Therefore, it cannot just be another activity you and I do. Tell someone who's been sexually abused to get over it like they were just knocked down from their bicycle. Why do we see so much scars and emotional trauma that lasts for years due to sexual abuse if it was just a sexual activity? If it was just something we can do and kind of access when we want There's something deeper to what sex is, and the Bible teaches us that. that Be careful. But then we don't like that because we we feel like I want to be free. Let me express. Now, do you know what? True freedom is finding the right restrictions. It's not living without it. When is a fish the most free? Not on the plate next to your chips. In the ocean, within the restrictions of the ocean. Now, it can try and jump to land, break free from its restrictions, but it will die. True freedom is not doing what you want. True freedom is finding the right restrictions, ultimately, that it can produce life. And this goes against sex as an activity. The Bible teaches that sex is not primarily a self-fulfillment mechanism, but it's a way that you and I get to know Jesus, get to know Christ, and can ultimately build His kingdom. See, the modern norm is that sexual preferences should should, should kind of dictate who you are. That's the danger with a lot of the gender dysphobia we are finding, that all of a sudden something is defining you apart from how you are supposed to be defined. You are way more than just your virginity. You are way more than just your sexuality. There's so much more to us as people than just your sexual orientation. That cannot become the primary way I identify myself with. The Bible teaches us that sex is sacred. That sex is sacred. Why? Because it was intended to unite two people like nothing else in this world. Genesis 2 verse 24 explains and says that when two become one flesh, it is a uniting, it is sacred that nothing else can tie us together. Nothing else can bring this together like the gift that God has given us in sex. What does this mean? You see, this goes much deeper than just physical togetherness. This flesh means so much more. It doesn't just mean physical connection. It's so much more than that. Becoming one flesh is a state that you give of your whole self. Through sex, we are to give our whole self to the one whom we belong to. How beautiful is that? That was the intention of this. Therefore, do not give yourself in sex if you're not willing to give everything else to the person. That goes against, so against the hookup culture we find ourselves in. Sex was designed ultimately to be a way we give ourselves away. It's almost like a self-donation to the person you belong to. Tim Keller states it this way. He says, sex is God's invented way for you to give yourself to someone else so deeply that it results in a personal transformation. How beautiful is that? How unique is that? How powerful is that? No relationship with a cell phone or a computer or one-night stands could ever get you so connected to someone. In in a a time of of our, our existence where everyone is desiring connection, but yet we find false connections everywhere we go. Maybe you're sitting here married today. I ask how connected are you how 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 are you celebrating this understanding of God's idea with sex within your marriage see as a result of this becoming one flesh the heart the mind of your spouse the personhood of your spouse becomes part of who you are For example, if I face something or go through circumstances or an event, let's say something, just make it a bit light again, let's say going to the Kruger, and I experience something in the Kruger, almost simultaneously as I know how I would react I know exactly how Anshin, what she would say, what she would think, and what she would do in this exact event. Because this is the person that I get to know the best and are connected to the best way possible. There is something about my spouse that I can get to carry with me wherever I go. Because that is what it means to become one flesh. Now, this is a process that will probably take many, many years still to come. But this is the deepness of God's intention with sex. And therefore, we cannot treat it as something just secular to enjoy, but there's something sacred to it, holy about it. I guess this is where soul ties kind of comes into play. <laughs> I mean, I oftentimes counsel young men and they always say, yeah, but where's I'm married to this person? But I'm like stuck with these thoughts and these dreams and these experiences and, and everything from my past life. Well, it's because somewhere in your life you became, you became one flesh. You gave something so vulnerable of yourself to another person in a relationship that was not created to withstand it. The, the covenant that is marriage is the only place where we can solely enter into and say, Lord, thank you for a place where I can be 100% vulnerable with everything of who I am. My, my nakedness, my vulnerability, but thank you that you've created something that is so safe. I can be exactly that. Is that what, if you're married today, if that is, what, is that what you're prioritizing and creating as a culture in your marriage? Are you creating such a safe environment or allowing God to create such a safe environment that your spouse can continually be vulnerable and doesn't have to step away and be more shameful and start hiding things? That's the beauty of marriage. Why? Because when we look at the Trinity, when we look, as Libby explained last week so beautifully, he said that there's this relationship and from this relationship there's delight and creativeness and and so forth, the world was set out. That there's such unison there, and in in essence, sexual intercourse within a marriage covenant gets to experience something about that. Nothing else can do this. Nothing. No other way of having sex can do this, according to, except according to His design. If you are married here today, wait. Wait on purpose. Set aside. Be patient and trust. Don't settle for the garbage when God has royalty for you. Sex. Great sex is sacred because it's holy and beautiful and powerful. Number two. Great sex. Something to be passionate about. Now, I don't know about you, but while I was reading that, you could kind of see a lot of passion coming from this man, Correct? Correct? Okay. Must we say six one more time together just to settle the nerves again? <laughs> Verse three to six, we see just this man unfold and unpack his plan and desires with this, with this woman and just explains so And we kind of just see passion. This, this what I look here, I see something more than just buying flowers on Valentine's Day. Great sex or God's view of sex is something that is passionate, affectionate, and purposeful. And this is to be celebrated. See, when reading this, I don't get an idea that sex was just something we do or should get bored with or a chore or something that's just needed to multiply. There's something beautiful in it. What I see here is a man and a woman so passionate about each other. It's raw, it's clean, and it's holy. And this is such a contrast to yet again society, which says sex in marriages is dull and boring, and you have to do something to spice it up every now and then. I see a lot of spice in the model that God's called us to live out to. You need nothing else. How do we become passionate about something? What you're passionate about, you will prioritize. And what you will prioritize, you will become passionate about. What's your priority? Your work, the kids, school, finances, pressure, alone time. What's your priority? Because ultimately, priority... Is almost like a breeding place for passion. If you want to be passionate about your spouse, as God has called you to be, is your spouse really your priority, or has everything in the world just gotten in the way? Your duties, your leadership, your calling, the sport events. Ways you don't understand, we've got like uh, this week, we're in Gatsfontein that week, we're in Grobersdal this week, we're in Randberg this, this week. I know. But has that become a priority? The school lives of your children. Your business meetings. See, allowing other things to become priority in our marriage ultimately affects our intimacy in a very, very significant way. See, intimacy in marriage is very crucial. Yet some of us treat it like that forgotten Christmas gift that you got. Just leave it there at the tree. I don't really want it. It's not my size. I'm just going to thank you for the gift, donkey buyer. And something is a priority. It takes time and care. Do you have time and do you take care? If not, plan it then. Planned sex is better than no sex. Plan it because intimacy matters, and that's a way that you and I get to ultimately be connected with our spouses. Craig uh, Grushel always says that sex starts before the bedroom, and he alludes to (laughs) verse 2, where this man just unpacks and he says, you're beautiful, you are beautiful, my love. Your eyes are like doves behind the veil. Like this is way before they even get to the bedroom. And he always says that sex starts before the bedroom. How do we do this? Are you still acknowledging something that's in your spouse's life? Who they are, what they look like, how they make you feel. This is how we build culture of passion in our, in our, in our, in our marriages. By acknowledging these things and not being ashamed to do that. How do we build passion? We give See the world today wants to teach you that sex is about you being feel fulfilled. When Scripture continually calls us to give, sex is about giving. It's about giving yourself away. It's not about receiving all for yourself, getting your fix matched. And this is one of the big, massive, massive dangers of masturbation. See what masturbation does. Masturbation teaches you that sex is a Spectator sport, not a participation sport. Masturbation teaches us that or programs our brains that sex is something I only receive at the expense of someone else. Hold on, where is this? Masturbation a sin? First Corinthians 6 verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Now, what's the word sexual immorality? Sexual immorality in, in the original context means porneia. And porneia kind of makes it very clear for us that any sex outside of marriage... It's porneia. It's wrong. Any sex. Outside the marriage covenant, one man, one woman. Masturbation is self-sex, and you're not married to yourself, thankfully. Imagine how that would go. You'd never make a decision. (laughs) Masturbation will program your mind that sex is the only thing I receive. And now the problem is, now if you are married and you've been caught up in masturbation five years, six years, you get married and it's great for that first two, three months because now, hey, I'm having it. And then all of a sudden that old habits come back, but, oh, I'm giving too much. I liked sex before I got married because I to, I was not vulnerable. I didn't have to give. I just received. Sex is something that we are called to be passionate about. Therefore, make it a priority and give of yourself. Give of yourself. Last point for this morning is great sex something to fight for. Say something to fight for. To fight. Everyone say something to fight for. Now, verse 15, this man explains, and he gives an analogy of a, of a garden. How beautiful is this? This garden, a fountain, living water, and together in the garden of love. And I just love the analogy of a garden because a garden is a very sensitive element. If you overdo the water, you drown the plants. If you don't give water, you dehydrate the plants. If the sun shines too much, your plants burn. If the sun doesn't shine at all, your plants die. All right. If you allow insects and um Weeds to take over your garden, your garden will die. So a garden is something that you and I are called to tend to and pay attention and ultimately fight for. If you want a pretty garden, you've got to fight for it. You can't just sit inside and watch Netflix and expect those roses to be pruned by themselves. I tried that. My roses die every year. I need help. <laughs> How are you going to fight for great sex in your marriage or your future marriage? One of the best ways we can fight for this is build trust. Great sex is built on trust and being trustworthy. It is built on absolute trust. And I can think of nothing that puts you more in an intimate or a vulnerable or a more exciting place when you get to a place where you know I can trust this person so much that I can give even of the most scariest parts of who I am to them. Do you know how liberating that is? Do you know how that sets us free? That here's a relationship I don't have to pretend. Genesis, yet again, gives us this picture of Adam and Eve being naked and unashamed. 100% vulnerable and 100% safe. Under the presence of God and His design for His covenant. They could walk like that because they were under His covenant we try and apply that outside of a covenant marriage is where we get hurt and devastation because nothing else connects us so much than what God does. So how are we going to build trust? Verse 7, verse 7, I mean, have you ever said this to your spouse? You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come on. You're probably saying, this guy just didn't know who my wife was, right? <laughs> we live so in a culture of criticism and critique, we are missing the beauty and the images of Jesus that is actually throwing through our spouses right before our very eyes. And maybe the stuff that you don't like, God says, I'm going to use it to make you more like me. There is no flaw. What is this man doing? He's reassuring, He's reassuring his, this woman. There's no one like you. There's just this reassurance continually, continually. If you want to build trust, you want to have trust, you have to reassure one another. Specifically when it comes to women on looks and men on performance. Why? Because men have this utter need to be needed. If you take away the need to be needed for a man, they will fall apart. And if you take away the need to be desired by women, they will fall apart. Is it wrong? No, I believe this is how God designed us. It's 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 in it's it's in who we are, the very fabric of male and female. See, when women are rejected, they feel like just another thing at your disposal, like an old golf club or a car that needs an upgrade. When women are rejected on the basis of their appearance, and (laughs) that's exactly, and we still find in society people making jokes about objectifying women. Women have a desire to be desired, and therefore, men, you can bring assurance to your wife. There is no flaw in you. Men feel rejected when they feel not needed anymore, especially with regards to sex. See, when a man is physically rejected, especially in the, with regards to sexual activity, it goes deeper. It hits men emotionally. When, we, when, when a man is rejected over and over and over physically, it, it almost makes men not feel like men anymore. It's the same equivalent to a man coming at home and not acknowledging or speaking to his wife. That emotional connection that women have when that happens, that rejection. You're coming to this house and you're not even saying hello? It's the same kind of emotion where men are rejected physically over and over and over again. Reassure one another. May your reassurance for each other be so much greater than your rejection from one another. Now, what takes away trust? Porn, fantasy. See, the problem is with porn, it's training your brain to be aroused by something that doesn't exist. Yeah. What you see on Instagram and on the magazines and on those things is not real. It's been so photoshopped and perfected that you are looking for someone that doesn't exist. So you're training yourself to be attracted to something that's fictional, that's fantasy. So then, what Hollywood did is they said, okay, let's, let's, okay, we, surely it's fantasy. Let's just give, let's just give stories good storylines. And then it's fine. Game of Thrones, pretty much porn. But let's give it a good storyline and then we put it on Mnet. <laughs> storylines don't excuse porneia. Yes, yes, but it's so good. But you know, from season four, there's no more porn, they don't, there's not even unity anymore. So they've got you hooked for three seasons. They've got you. The shock factor's over. You've already been numbed. And look at most, most series about violence and sex. Within the first three episodes, they try and shock you because then the shock factor's over. Because now they've got you. Because now whatever comes, it's okay. You've been through the worst. See, and the problem is when, when we forget to build trust one of the biggest dangers is getting away with something just once or allowing just a little bit. One of the biggest dangers we can find ourselves in. We say things like, only once or just a little bit won't harm. It was just one time. It was just a little bit of cleavage. It was just one sex scene. If we get away with it once, it's one of the most dangerous places we can be because then you'll push. Try and see how you can get close to it again and again and again. And your hunger increases increases. What satisfied you last week won't satisfy you this week. Fight for this in your present and fight for this in your future. Build trust. Keep unwanted things out of this garden. Fight for this. Fight for this. Grade 6 is something we need to understand. There's something that we need to be passionate about. And something to fight for. And I thank God that we can learn from Him. We can learn from His Word and see His heart in this. That there's something so much more significant in what He's called us or called for this. I'm going to ask you maybe someone on the keys to come up. You might be sitting here today and you might be feeling guilty or shameful. You might even be angry. You might be ashamed. I don't know what emotion is going on, but I know possibly most of them are. It's interesting. Most biblical scholars believe that the one thing that is preventing the repentance or or leading us into a, a move of repentance and ultimately into revival is this sexual immorality. The one, the major thing that's preventing us from really seeing the next wave of of the outpouring of God in our cities and in our churches is sexual immorality, is pornea, is us not valuing exactly what God had intended for us. So therefore, friends, it's not just you going to consider this problem for the rest of your life and keep it out there. No, friends, it affects everyone. There's no such thing as private sin. Maybe you're sitting here today and you feel distant with your spouse. You've lost hope. You I like I, I hear ways, but I'm never I'm never gonna be that Song of Solomon guy. It's too far for us. Some of you have locked are locked in sexual sin at this moment. You're hooked on porn, you're addicted to masturbation, or you've stepped into a world of homosexual action. On that don't let the world dictate who you become don't let the world dictate who you become when Jesus says that's my right, let me tell you who you are you might be confused, hurt, vulnerable angry, you feel dirty, I, I don't know but what I do know is that no sin is greater than what Jesus' love can conquer that there's nothing that you and I can do when we bring it in repentance to Jesus and say, Jesus, breathe on this. They'll say, No, sorry, that's too, ah, too much. That his arms and his heart is open, just like Ron explained. It's the father looking over the mountain time and time again and say, Come back, my son. The goodness of God outweighs the guilt of our sin. Every single time so therefore if you've messed up there's hope and his name is Jesus now, some of you have been wronged and I'm going to ask you to forgive today If you've been abused in some other way you've been mistreated or neglected even in your marriage I want you to forgive some of you are carrying weights of the past you're like stuck in change and I just sense that you're going to receive forgiveness today Some of you are intentionally still pursuing your own way of life. There's a repentance opportunity for you today to come to Jesus. Jesus, no more we will we define where we're on our way to. We give you the right to do that. Some of you are trapped in sin. You're addicted and you can't break it. You need to get help. And that's what community is here for. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Everyone just close their eyes. I've mentioned a few things, and everyone's eyes are closed. Guys, this is a safe space. <laughs> if you're sitting here today, and you feel so distant from your spouse, you feel so alone, you feel so hurt, you feel so neglected, but you've also realized that there's some things that you've been missing. My, and my, I'm going to mention a few things, and as I mention it, and you know this is you, you just raise your hand as I mention it, okay? you just feel that there's so distance between you and your spouse this morning it's actually become so much you can't really speak about it even you're kind of just trying to live and deal with it right now maybe you're sitting here today and you feel like you've just been caught up you're addicted there's like it's like bondage over your life you cannot get free from porn and masturbation or thoughts or perversion in your mind maybe you're sitting here today and you just need hope. You need, you need the love of God that says, I will wash away your sins. As far as the east is from the west, I will remove your transgressions. Because you are tired of the guilt. You are tired of the shame. Right now, shame is pounding at your heart and saying, don't put up your hand. If it's you, just keep raising your hand. If you're angry and confused right now, raise up your hand. If you feel hurt, neglected and left alone, raise up your hand. There is hope in God because He is the restorer of all things. He's the author of all things. If you've raised your hand or not, maybe just put your hand over your heart and I'm just going to say a short prayer. Jesus, I come to you this morning, and I ask your forgiveness for not understanding your design for sex and trying to find my own way, for maybe prioritizing my work or my kids or my hobbies above you, making that my greatest passion. Therefore, I cannot even give myself to my wife or my husband. Forgive me. Jesus, free me from these chains of sexual immorality, of things that are just tormenting me, Lord. Masturbation, pornography. Maybe even you're currently in a relationship right now that you know you shouldn't be in. You're married, but there's, someone else has captured your heart. When you heard the scripture, you didn't picture your husband or your wife. You pictured someone else it's not too late. It's never too late. It's never too late when Jesus is in the room. It's never too late when Jesus is in the room. I want you to hear this over your marriage today. I want you to hear this over your future marriage today, that it's never too late when Jesus is in the room. Lord, see me today. As I open my heart and say, you work. I listen, you work. Lord, I pray for boldness, that those who have raised their hand, or even those that have just placed their hands in their heart, that they would have the boldness and courage to walk in freedom now, that they will get the help that they need, that they will bring it to the light. Thank you, Lord, when something's in the light, darkness has no more hold over it. Jesus, thank you that you love us so much, that you want to pursue us so much. Father, thank you that your arms are waiting for us to return as your sons and your daughters with a new robe a new ring and new sandals. Everything new. Jesus makes new. Doesn't repair, he makes new. But some of you need to be made new today. Father God, thank you for sex. Thank you that you gifted our marriage as sex. Not just as something um, that is every, not that, that it becomes everything in our lives. Not that it's nothing in our lives. But it was presented to us as a gift from you. Ultimately, Lord. To experience what you experience between yourself. But that we can share in that with our spouses. I pray that the gift of sex will be protected in our marriages as a church. That the church will yet again become the primary place where we teach people about beautiful, holy, and pure sex.